Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Finamic's Mindy McGrath and Ryan Hummel to talk about what's trending now. Of course, the vaccine continues to dominate the healthcare news cycle, with recent data releases, the passage of the 100 million vaccination mark by Biden's 59th day in office, and the continued rollout of the vaccine worldwide. But what other headlines have you been following lately, Mindy and Ryan? It's hard to believe that 11 years ago, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, affectionately called the ACA, or in some cases, Obamacare, was passed into law. Um, A lot of time has passed, and I think that it's notable for us to, to recognize this anniversary because while the law has really been established as almost like the law of the land, I mean, we know that healthcare organizations are operating under under this model. We know that they've really absorbed the provisions of the law into the way that they work. Uh, the thing that, that still amazes me about the Affordable Care Act are two things. The first is that it still continues to be challenged legally, and there is a level of uncertainty still surrounding it today as we wait for the Supreme Court to weigh in on, on whether you know the, the taxation clause is actually severable from the law or not. And the second piece of it is is really around um, just how it's being used, I think, as a springboard in the Biden administration to continue to focus on things like broadening access. You know, one of the things I think about when it comes to the ACA is that we often forget the front piece of the name of the law, which was the patient protection piece, and how incredibly valuable those patient protections have been to individuals over the course of the last 11 years. I mean, we are talking about things like lifetime, the, the elimination of lifetime limits, um, the protection for pre-existing conditions, the ability to maintain your children's coverage until the age of 26, the set of essential health benefits that must be covered. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and I think that often gets overlooked on the fact that the ACA is what established all of those things. And from an industry perspective, you know, I still marvel at the fact that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation is a direct result of the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And we talk about value-based care an awful lot. And a lot of the reason we talk about value-based care is that it started with the mandate that the CMMI start to run pilots and projects and demonstrations to test different ways to reimburse on value and quality and performance in our healthcare system. So, you know, I think it's just an incredible milestone and it's something that we should continue to just recognize that this, this law, while it's been under assault for many, many years, has withstood the test of time. Yeah, I think Marvel is a good word. You know, you and I have talked about it for many years, that big sprawling um, acts like this take generations to take a hold. And, you know, we're 11 years into it. And I think one thing that is very evident uh, of it being alive and well, Mindy, is look at the American Rescue Plan that just got signed in the last month. You know, its goal within the American Rescue Plan was really about the pandemic and stimulus, but it really touched on a lot of the elements of the ACA. For instance, you know, as part of the American Rescue Plan, it 
states that it doesn't matter how much you make, you will pay no more than 8.5% of your income on insurance premiums in the individual market. You know, that's access, right? That's, that's really part and parcel and to the ACA's kind of grand objectives. It reframes this ACA as much more of a universal program, more than we've ever seen. And uh, one thing that I think is very interesting, it really provides incentives for just the 12 states that have not expanded Medicaid to cover their poorest and underserved residents if they choose to take it. It's pretty amazing. And I think we take it for granted. You mentioned that um, the innovation around um, CMMI, but also the the idea of that only 12 states remain that have not expanded Medicaid to cover um, their poorest residents. And I think, you know, another kind of key, a few key tenants of that American Rescue Plan is that 15 million uninsured Americans will now be eligible for financial assistance um, that may have earned too much to qualify for subsidies. And something like there's an estimation that 9 million people currently in subsidized plan will receive more aid. And you know that's a that's a huge you know stem change um, upgrades if you will to to the ACA that are that are baked into the already passed American Rescue Plan. Yeah, and I think Ryan, what it does is tries to address what has been the knock on the ACA for years, which is the affordability piece of the Affordable Care Act. So I, you know, it all starts to stitch together, right, in a way that we see that there's really kind of a groundswell to start you know, continue pushing towards, you know, broader access, better affordability for for everyone. Yeah. Speaking of groundswell, I think it's been really exciting to see the appetite of the public marketplace in terms of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Biden just announced that he will be extending the special enrollment period to August 15th, um, bumping the deadline from that original May 15th date. Uh, to account for the new COVID-19 law. But I think really excitingly, we've seen more than 200,000 people enroll in coverage in just the first two weeks of the special enrollment period. So I think we'll really see a huge expansion in coverage taking in everything, Mindy and Ryan, that you've talked about in terms of the expansion into account. And I think this is going to be part of another headline that I'm paying attention to, which is uh, the recent, you know, swearing in of our first Latino head of health and human services, Javier Becerra, who many know was the um, state attorney general for um, California. Prior to that, had had worked in Congress um, for a number of years and is one of the originating authors of the Affordable Care Act. Um, he certainly has a lot on his plate. Uh, including the pandemic, which is probably first and foremost in his purview of responsibility. Um, I think, Ryan, you also mentioned his focus on Medicaid, right? And how the, the recent passage of the American Rescue Plan really sets up a priority for him to continue to focus on expanding Medicaid coverage and also really evaluating some of the rules that were passed in a previous administration, such as work requirements and block grants, to see how they might be adjusted accordingly to fit with, with some of the Medicaid principles in this administration. Um, the other thing I think uh, he has and will probably focus on is, is drug prices. I mean, not going away, there is are some provisions tucked into the American Rescue Plan Act that really focus on Medicaid drug pricing specifically, but I imagine that as a platform and one that he has to continue to address just given the fact that drug spending continues to outpace 
frustrate any other types of spending that we see in the healthcare system. And then last but not least, like I think telehealth is an area that still is, while it's been really popular and we've seen such an acceleration of the adoption of telehealth, uh, think about how it has accelerated under temporary lifting of restrictions. So there are a lot of um, aspects of telehealth that need to be addressed from data protection, interoperability, you know, I think even liability and um, practice restrictions, credentialing, those types of things that that still are going to be, you know, probably focus areas for him as he starts to get his feet wet in this position. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting is um, the way uh, Becerra has looked across the healthcare landscape, across the sectors, much like, you know, we do a dynamic, you know, he, he just not is not focused on the pharmaceutical industry because he gets a lot of criticism for that. But he also has a history of, you know, focusing in on alleged uh, monopolies in, in, in the provider sector as well. You know, there's there's a well-known case that he that he led around the, the case of, of Cedar Health, where he talked about the fact that they had a monopoly in Northern California. And um, he claimed that, you know, Cedar Health got so big that they didn't use their market power accordingly. They used it to kind of dictate and dominate pricing. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of studies on that. And, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, to deliver a baby in Sacramento, California cost more money than in, in New York City. And, you know, it was a very thorough investigation and looking at all these variables and it took years to, to complete. And, you know, he eliminated all the other reasons that might be out there. And, you know, he is a real big patient advocate. So we'll see how that plays out um, in the future. But I, I just found that that kind of very important um, <laughs> lawsuit, uh, something to keep our eyes on as, as he probably looks nationwide for other sites, uh, you know, potential malfeasance. Yeah, I definitely think there there is a lot of activity that, that he needs to focus on over a very short period of time to set the tone for, I think, what the agenda is going to be for this administration and try to get some wins right out of the gate. Um, one of the ones I think is going to be probably closest at hand um, that, that ties into the pandemic is telehealth. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of temporary activity going on um, when it comes to telehealth and we have to get some grounding because there's a lot of investment dollars going into this space. That's a great point, Mindy. And we talk about telehealth nearly every on nearly every one of these um, podcasts. But I think it's really you know top of mind now. You know, you mentioned Becerra's um, having a high priority. You know, you think about American Well and, and Teladoc. Well, just just this week, as you mentioned, Amazon Care and Chance Karen made the news. You know, Glenn Tolman, who was a founding member of Livongo, just um, kind of publicly came out to start this this company called Transparent, and it, it's a bold and um, really cool company. And using a combination of technology and data science and software, they actually, you know, um, are offering at-risk contracts to share in employer savings. And you'll hear that a lot between the commonalities between Amazon Care and Transparent, this idea of employer savings and focusing on employers. Because according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, something like 156 million Americans, which is right around half of the population, receive employer-sponsored health insurance or group health insurance. So it's a, a huge amount of folks. And um, you know, self-insured employers who 
pay for almost half of the healthcare expenditures in the US have seen these costs escalate. So this idea around transparent um, is this idea of entering these, these risk-based contracts in which they take a pre-negotiated kind of cut of an employer's healthcare cost savings after the fact. So what we're saying essentially, and I hope I'm getting this right, you can correct me, is they're going to pay for these surgeries upfront, right? They're gonna, they're gonna use telehealth uh, technology and data science and actually pay for these surgeries upfront. And then, like I said, these risk-based contracts, they will take that pre-negotiated percentage cut out of the cost savings after the fact. They believe that that's the way. And you talk about value-based care and you know pay for performance. I mean, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. I liken it a little bit to some companies that do um, kind of revenue optimization um, and partner with health systems where they'll you know pay on behalf of the patient and then collect from the patient. This is taking it many steps further and actually paying up front. So Really, really interesting concept and model. It certainly is. And, you know, I think the other one that doesn't surprise any of us because we knew it was going to happen in some form or fashion is Amazon you know, earnestly entering into the virtual healthcare services market. You know, I think they have been piloting this within their own employee base for a while and now feel ready to roll it out on a more nationalized level. Um, not surprising, right? They also are using technology and and um, different service offerings to almost stitch together what I look at as like a web of different services that will expand beyond virtual health, beyond their in-person clinics. Um, I think one of the things that Amazon offers that might be a little bit different than Transparent is that in the area where maybe other players can't play is is this web of offerings. So you think about the fact that they are offering not only virtual healthcare visits, but they have PillPack. So they have the ability to ship and fulfill prescription medication and delivery. They also can deliver over-the-counter products and even things like durable medical equipment. And now in addition to that, right, they're offering this on-demand in-person visit with a provider. So it's super interesting to me from an Amazon perspective, you know, even with the not successful venture of, of Haven. It really doesn't seem to have stopped Amazon in their tracks. And, and the, the other thing I think is a differentiating factor for Amazon is they are in consumers' houses every day. So you think about how good they have, have been at embedding themselves in terms of engendering trust and activating consumers. And I think that's a strength for them as well. One of the things that I think is going to be really hard for Amazon is just the fact that healthcare is hard, right? And they have not previously had to deal with payers and provider networks. And so that's an area that I think they have to just, and they probably have, make sure that they have shored up and they are confident that they have the right type of network, right, to service um, to service people that come to, to these virtual um, services that they want. And the other piece of it is like dealing with employers, right? So what is going to be their differentiating factor that has an employer that's self-insured decide that they're going to go with an Amazon over a transparent or you know one of the, the big players that has been in the virtual health space for a while? Yeah, I agree. I think I think there are some tailwinds that Amazon has in this Amazon Care. You know, they have something like eight hundred and seventy-six thousand permanent employees. So that's that's a, a large end value. And we don't see that global headcount. 
going down anytime soon. So they have that. And you'd mentioned as well, you know, their their ubiquitous brand in, in, in America is someone that just bought something on Amazon about 20 minutes before we started recording. It's it's clear that they have entered our lives and will not be leaving anytime soon. Some headwinds are kind of the stakeholder connections that they may not have, as you mentioned, you know, I'll take it kind of externally. You think of some of their competitors, whether it's American Well or Teladoc or One Medical. You know, you know, some of these companies have really sunk their teeth and uh, bolstered incredible relationships of a global network of clinicians um, around you know chronic care conditions or or you know, and that that took time. And I think that even though Amazon has, um, you know the resources to do it, it's gonna take time for them to replicate those models of growing those global network of clinicians and providers. So the, the, we'll keep our eyes glued to this new battle for telecare and telehealth supremacy. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see Ryan the extent to which Amazon is able to take its solution that really works for them, um, you know, similar to how Walmart has, you know, programs within its own healthcare management of its employees to send them to centers of excellence. As we start to see some of these employer-grown models try to scale um, nationwide, but then after that, scale to other employers as well to see what does work, what doesn't work, and see maybe this bake-off that's happening between Amazon Care and Transparent to see. Um, who's able to really crack the code first. As always, Mindy and Ryan, thank you so much for talking about what's trending now. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode, where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.